This is Manifest Mindset, where we delve into our true passions, inspire the best out of ourselves, and live our life with true intention every single day. All right, Nick, let's get this rock and rolling. Welcome back to Manifest Mindset. How are you doing, Nick? Oh, I'm fantastic, but I have a feeling that you've got some very good news on your hands. I got pretty good news. I uh, I finished PT school, uh, at least the didactic portion as of yesterday. So that's that's pretty good news for me. Um, what about you? How how's everything in California? No, 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 no. You don't, you don't get out that easy, my friend. Dude, that is a uh, a major accomplishment. I remember this time last year for me. Um, Bob, before I get into my stuff, I'm going to drill you a little bit, okay? All right, sure. All right, from you. Let's talk about these last three years, the graduate years. I want to hear from you what was one of your most exciting, like, aha moments, like the light bulb just went awfully crazy. And again, we've probably heard it on this podcast before, but just your reflecting time. So, a couple things. One, biggest aha moment. Number two, Something that was that you had no idea what to expect. You're just like, wow, this is uh, this is different. This is a curveball. Other number three, favorite memory. Yeah, before like I share those. Um, so yesterday I submitted my final final online, um, and when I submitted it, it was like, that's it. I was finished. Um, but at the same time, I felt like um. Instead of feeling very joyful, I also felt like a little bit of sadness, like that it was all over um, school-wise. But it's not like really over because there's learning is always lifelong. Um, but for me, it was like the structure of college and school is over. It's it's done. And that was the first thing that hit me, um, other than being happy that everything was over school-wise. But the biggest moment you said? Is that right? Yeah, the yeah. biggest your aha moment. Your biggest aha moment. Your biggest epiphany throughout okay. these last three years. So I think I shared this before, um, but this was my first time treating a patient by myself without like an instructor looking over my shoulder, without a CI watching me behind my back. So this was a grand round patient that I was seeing by myself. I, I was a six-year physical therapist in my senior year, um, and this guy comes in with bilateral leg pain, back pain for the past like four years, three or four years. And I just I just took a spine class or I was in, in spine class learning about repeated movements, the treatment-based classification. And the instructor, Dr. Buck, gave this whole complicated algorithm of treating people with low back pain. And I was like, I have no idea how to treat a low back patient. Let me give it a shot. So I, I just followed the algorithm and in the middle of the algorithm, we do some repeated movement testing, and all of a sudden, his pain for the last four years just completely disappeared. Um, and I was like, wow, we could really make a difference as a physical therapist in somebody's life. So somebody has this constant pain for so long, and then you, as a physical therapist, can actually change something. And I was like, wow, that's this is this is, I don't want to say like it's a miracle worker or I did this myself, but you contributed to the fact of helping this patient out as a whole. So that was the biggest takeaway for me in, or the biggest aha moment for me in, in PD school. like, wow, physical therapists really can help people if, if they 
put in the right, give them the right exercise or give them the right information or education. That's awesome, Bob. And it, um, you know, you've been a guy of preparation all along the way. Um, but when we're talking about a lot of mindset things on this podcast. It seems like that moment gave you that aha moment, that big mindset shift of, hey, I, I feel more empowered now and I might not always have the exact reason, the exact rationale. I might not always um, have the utmost confidence. I, I follow the kind of algorithm. I follow the approach. I keep reflecting on what I do and, hey, make a hell of a difference. Yeah, so, so like I already told you before that when I, like, senior year to the first year of grad school, maybe even to the second year of grad school, I thought physical therapy was just about stretching tight muscles, strengthening weak, weak muscles. And, and part of it is, um, but for my first clinical experience, the first ever patient I evaled uh, on my first clinical, my, it was a low back patient, and I haven't taken spine yet. And my CI just pushes me into this room and he's like, good luck. I have other patients to see. And it'll just mean this patient with low back pain. I have no idea what to do. And, and do I like just do flexion extension, just look at her range. And from that shifted to a year later of, of completely helping this patient where his pain just went away completely. That was such a big shift for me in terms of physical therapy and in terms of, aha, like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life kind of thing. You, you mean you, you don't want to be uh, in utter perplexion all the time for your entire life and not knowing what you're doing? That's correct. Correct. <laughs> so going to the second question, I think it was like a wow moment. Was that what you said? Uh, like a, a curveball moment, something uh, very unexpected for the last three years, something that, you know, your three years before undergrad you would not have envisioned. Yeah. So this is another story that happened during Grand Rounds. Um, so this, this patient was the first ever patient I ever treated in my entire life. So this was my first grand round. I took, I think, uh, the first block of when you can start taking grand rounds for physical therapy students. This was my first patient. I was paired with another student, um, and this patient was a runner. She was like 19 years old. She basically had bilateral shin pain. Um, and we thought it was compartment syndrome. We did. We spent a whole eight weeks just mashing on our gas rock, like, <laughs> trying to to strengthen her, to, to stretch her gas rock, to break up the the adhesions, uh, to strengthen up everything in her legs. Looking at her running mechanics, things like that. And I was like, at the end of eight weeks, she was pretty much the same. But I was to myself, I was like, wow, I, I did such a great job. I really stretched those gas. Uh, hamstring or gastrocs and then i really think about her but until, bob's clinical results was hey man my triceps are getting strong i'm pushing on her so much yeah <laughs> exactly uh, but i mean at the end of the week eight weeks she was pretty relatively the same i thought i really helped her by, by stretching her and, and doing like things like that and it wasn't until so that was like my fourth my fourth year i think around like my fourth fifth year and then two years later, I, I'm still in grand rounds. I took another grand round course with a different instructor. And I see her come back in, um, complaining of the same pain, the same person, wow. the same patient, um, complaining of the same pain with another instructor, with another group of people. And she still has the same pain. I, I just see her at the, the corner of my eye, and I, I see her pointing to her legs, um, and she she was with Dr. Cherry, another instructor that was one of my mentors. 
And Dr. Cherry had her perform some press-ups, and all of a sudden her pain just disappeared, and she just trottled out happily. Um, so that was, like, the biggest wow moment for me. It was like, wow, something – like, physical therapy has so many different aspects. And the one aspect may not work for a person, but it could work for a different – a completely other person. I was like, wow, that was a big – wow moment for me that really makes me want to like learn more about the McKenzie method, which is what Dr. Kerr was doing for this patient. So that was like my wow moment. Uh, within Absolutely. You know, it's, um, I think Bob for getting into the mindset stuff that ties into yes, for physical therapy, we've got to know exactly what we're dealing with. Talk about all the possible rationales and reasons of why something can be um, true and why it can be presenting as a cast pain. Um, but also, in addition to that, we've got to be able to say, okay, for our life, how do we how do we know what to work on? What metrics are we working on? And not just going off of our emotions willy-nilly, but understanding what's going on around us um, to do that. I think <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny story. You got a little tricep workout in there. Um, it's crazy how sometimes our, our first patients can be um, guinea pigs in a way um, for the sake of learning. But I'm glad that end of the day they got relief and that you were able to see that, man. Yeah, it's it's like we, what we talked about prior of like always reevaluating where you are in life. If you're still with your why, if you're still reevaluating your why, and if your actions are matching along with your purpose and your why every every week, every day, every month. Um, and I think that's the same thing with the patient. And that's I think a takeaway of, of reevaluating the the patient every every visit, every few weeks, just to see if they're actually making progress. That is defined by them instead of defined by you. So I think that was... So, Bob, going off that, how how often, and I'm not talking about ideal terms, but how often do you literally ask yourself your why again? I would say more recently, more every week. Uh, Yeah. Specifically, I would would take mostly on weekends, Saturday or Sunday, I would take around 30 minutes just to, just to reevaluate and see are the, are the tasks that I did from the last week, the main priority tasks that I set for myself aligning with my why, which again is my why is, is morally to, to tap dance out of bed every morning, doing things I love by, by being able to, to help patients with my own hands and also being able to entertain and empower people um, through speaking, public speaking, and educating. So educating more along the, the lines of public speaking. So that's something that I feel like I enjoy and, and do. I like that, Bob. It's a great mission to live by my friend. And I'll see that tap dance performance someday. Hope, me too. I want to see that as well, my my own tap dance skills. <laughs> what was the third question? So you said the biggest yeah. moment, so, the wow. The wow, and then um, favorite moment. So if there is some moment outside of those two, it doesn't necessarily have to be clinical. It can be, um, but favorite moment out of these last three years of experience for you with Ithaca College, with graduating in a uh, doctor of physical therapy program. You know, it's, it's really, as cliche as this sounds, it's really like getting to know people, especially getting to know Unic and other professors oh and other classmates. That was, not, that was not what I was going for, but I appreciate the kind words, Bob. Well, no, it's it's like it's finding those people that are in the same, I guess, the same mindset uh, wavelength as you, 
and then connecting with those people, building relationships with those people, and learning from those people. I think those are probably my favorite, my favorite especially in, since going to IC. Um, so meeting with colleagues, meeting with friends, meeting with professors, um, those are, I guess, my favorite moments. Heck yeah, dude, that's awesome. And I mean, it's something that I heard on another podcast recently that I absolutely agree with, is that, you know, there are different people in different stages of your, your career that um, that you grow from, you learn from, you might have a year to kind of bounce some ideas off of that and share and think with and help you grow in a short period of time. But the group of people, the rare group of people that throughout your time, constantly as you go on year after year after year after year, you can, true, you can feel like you can thrive and flourish in terms of friendship, in terms of growth, in terms of career development all along the way and, all, and the whole group always bettering themselves. It's a very rare group of people. And for me, it's exciting to think about who those people are in my life and who hopefully they will continue to be as I continue to grow and strive and change. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're alluding to a little bit, Bob, is that, you know, there'll be some people that will, you know, still be good friends with, but the career development thing will last a few years, and it'll be great. Um, then it's time for something different. But there's a select group of people where if we surround ourselves with them and we push and challenge each other to keep growing, it's, I mean, it's incredible to think what people can accomplish. Yeah. So to, to build off on that, um, one of the things that I – when I was reflecting was in the future, I want to be, I guess, respected by others. Now that's like a very vague and superficial statement of, Oh, I want to be respected by others. And then who exactly are other people? Um, and I came to the definition that the other people are people that you respect. Um, so people that respect that you respect, you want respect from them. So like people that you value or the five most in people, the five closest people to you that you trust and are actually practicing what you're doing um, is, are the people that I want respect from. And then you're one of the people on the list, Nick, um, somebody that I truly respect. And I, hopefully the actions that we're both doing make, make us respect each other more and I'm grateful for, for you being on this podcast with me and then every week we're we're talking and being accountable to each other. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you too, Bob, and uh that respect is highly mutual. And I'll just what something very specific I want to piece out about what you said was that for you your transition between the five people we spend the most time with and people who live in accordance with their actions and specifically their actions about similar things to us. For you, those almost sounded kind of synonymous, right? Yes. That's, and, and for me, too, right? That's a very clear, that's definitive. That's, the five people don't have to be going after the same exact goals I'm going after. They don't have to be inherently you know, doing the same exact thing. However, I think it is incredibly important that they all have the drive. We all have the like mission that we have people that are living in accordance, that their actions are living in accordance with their values, and that's a given for people like us. Um, and I think that needs to be something that more people think about is, hey, is that a given? Should it be a given? And how that can change the quality of our lives. Yeah. And I guess to further on, add on to this, um, to Nick, one powerful thing that, that you do to me, especially during these calls, is you call me out on, like, when I 
when I don't meet a certain standard that I set for myself. And that I think that's one of the most important things that I appreciate from, from others or, or from this five, this group of five people um, that are close, one closer to me and also to have a similar wavelength of, of mindset and also people that I respect. So Absolutely. And it's not always comfortable, is it, Bob? I mean, we've had a ton of kind of meetings, phone calls where it's like, uh, this would be kind of, kind of easier if we didn't have to do this right now, you know? Yeah, definitely. But it, I, it all... I've had those all the time. I've had those with you. I've had that with, uh, you know, I have my mentoring for residency every weekend. It's awesome. I love it. And it's, you know, crazy humbling. I've asked all my friends at the same time, too, and realize that, hey, I'm doing it for feedback and getting better. But there can be moments that are difficult in there to sit down, shut up, and not shut up, but uh, engage in that kind of conversation. I have to remind myself about why the reason I'm doing it. And like, just like you said, re-engage with your why. Yeah. So there, there's like always like there's a saying of like once you go through the uncomfortability, it's like just pleasure or happiness or whatever. And I feel like that's the same thing. Whenever we have these uncomfortable conversations or whenever we have these uncomfortable things that happen on this podcast, whatever, um, going after that allows you to have, I guess, more freedom to, to actually do pursue your why. Um, so. I feel like those are very important things to, to have in both business development and relationship development and any sort of development. Um, those type of conversations. I love it, Bob. Okay. What is, so you talked about some of your clinical experiences, some of your favorite moments and the type of experience that you've gained. What is something that you are going to take with you? the top couple of life lessons you're going to take with you from your time going through a doctor physical therapy program that do not apply to physical therapy, or let me rephrase that, they may apply to physical therapy. But what are you going to take from your physical therapy education and these wealth of experiences you've had that make you a better person, not just in the field of physical therapy? I think this is, I think this was something I took away undergrad-wise, um, and, and I guess this relates to physical therapy as a whole, of like, Freshman year, freshman to sophomore to, um, I guess, somewhere in the start of junior year of undergrad college, my mindset was I just got to get my 4.0 GPA no matter what happens. I don't talk to anybody. I just get my 4.0 GPA, just study, 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 just memorize the facts. Once I memorize them, I just dump them out um, and just keep on keep on going, get that 4.0. That's my only goal. And then at all costs possible, even if I had to, like, um, do the, the SDF, which is basically allowing your, your grade to become, like, a satisfactory instead of a, a graded grade. Um, but then my mindset somewhat kind of shifted junior, and it, I think the, the whole thing, the whole reason of why I shifted was, like, I was focusing more on, does this really align with my why of just getting a 4.0? every single semester for everything and, and not considering anything else like relationships, um, health or anything like that. Um, and then was there, was there I, a moment that made you like kind of really question that? Was there like this kind of just like come into reality where it's like, Hey, I'm living this day after day. And it's just, it's not fulfilling and it's not doing what I want. I think there were, I don't think there was one specific moment, but it was more so that I wanted to do other things, but my mindset and priority 
was focused on this one one thing and i think allowing myself to take to take myself out of that and pursue other things like a youtube channel like a podcast um really i guess separated me from from that and that's something that i took away of like oh just because you're you're boggled down into this one thing make sure you still take a step back and still realize and reevaluate if this is the thing that actually is fulfilling or actually is going to take you to the end where you want to be so it it sounds like you know first your role was hey there are these markers, these external markers of what it means to be a good kind of clinician that people say, hey, I need good grades, you know, good knowledge to do good work. I mean, you had an evolution of that, Bob, where it's, wait a minute, I want I want to be a good, full person, too. I don't want to just be uh, somebody hitting the check marks, and there are things that you felt desire in your heart that you were missing. That, hey, I want to get that back. And I think this is more of like a superficial lesson of like grades are just grades. They're not, they don't define who you are. They don't define like, they're just a number at the end of the day in terms of like when people are going to school. Um, and there's so much other extracurricular stuff that you can be doing that, that sets you apart. And and that, I think Absolutely. that's more like a school superficial kind of thing, but that's, that's like one of the takeaways as well. For but, this. but that's a life thing, you know, whether that's for anybody who is, you know, 85 or, 15, listening to this, there are always going to be these external markers on that, you know, how much do we really attribute to it and what's the value out of that? You know, we've got to reevaluate that what's really important for us. Yeah, like when you say this, I think an analogy or like a marker that I could make it to is like the amount of money you make. Now, obviously, I can't like really say this since I'm not like making a salary right now, but I I feel like (laughs) great. and a salary are kind of like similar, like everybody's chasing that 4.0 and everybody's chasing that making as much money as possible, or they're not really evaluating if making as much money as possible is actually making them happy as well, which is what I was doing during undergrad. I was focused on that grade. People are focused on getting as high as the salary as possible, whereas not that's draining away from other areas of their life, like family, relationships, um, fun, health, wealth. Um, now, Bob, I'm to you, and not because – I think that grades are inherently like money, but because it's a scale, you're not saying that you're saying, Hey, I can give up on the idea of having a 4.0 right away all the damn time. You can give up on that. Um, because there are other things that are important to you that that is not everything. Now that doesn't mean you're getting a 2.0, right? Yes, correct. Right. It doesn't mean you're like bottoming out and failing us okay, maybe I have a 3.3 three or a 3.5 or a 3.8, whatever that might be, but it's still good. And it's still, okay, what's the understanding that there's a good knowledge base and the clinical reasoning process and you get great understanding by it, but the perfection isn't there. So however you define your 4.0 for money, you know, maybe that means your first two or three jobs out of physical therapy school, you know, the 4.0 would be saying, hey, I'm going to look at any opportunity I can for just money. I'm going to work tons of overtime. A lot of just that I'm going to drop myself crazy. I'm going to go to burnout. And that's not what it's about. And Bob, you're not, you might not be getting the 4.0 for, you know, money coming out right away, doing residency and going after all the other goals you're going after. I know I'm not right away either. However, oh, that's the cops coming to me out here in the background. Um, oh, God. But, Aside from them chasing me down, uh, maybe they'll drop my salary a little lower. But 
the uh, you know the 4.0 that we're chasing after. Hey, maybe that's actually a 3.5 or 3.6 as far as salary goes, but maybe that allows you to just do all the opportunities that you want, all the action, all the other exciting like you talked about the podcast, you can channel the residency opportunities where it's these other factors of growth that better you for the long run. And then I've always said it, Bob, it's, you know, if you chase your passions, if you live your dreams, and you are your most authentic version of yourself, the money will follow. You've got to make smart decisions. It's not all about that 4.0. Like you said, you do the hard work, you love the process of learning, you love, you love the knowledge, the grades will get closer to a 4.0. It might not be quite there, but it will get closer there and approximate the more passion you have, the more you care about the process, the more you care about learning. You're not going to get these in all your classes if you have passion and you care about it. Yeah. I think I think where I'm trying to get at, maybe you're also trying to get that, is this is like it's just a balance of everything um, rather than being at an extreme for one thing and graining out areas of other areas that are important to your life and not evaluating those. All right. So, I got a newsflash for everybody out there, Bob. Uh, physical therapists are humans too. Even lawyers are humans too. Doctors are humans too. What makes you a better professional, whatever you do, are the things that make you a better person. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Are you out for a run right now, Nick? I'm not out for a run. I'm actually uh, walking to work, my friend. Oh, okay. Interesting. This is actually unusual time because normally when we record episodes, we record episodes on Tuesdays around 9 p.m. Eastern. Yep. Um, and today's uh, recording at Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. So, so I don't actually uh, – I don't stay at work on Fridays until 10 a.m. So that's my uh, – Later days for a start day. So Fridays on, and this is our West Coast time, on 10 to 7 on Fridays. Wow. Wow. Exciting. <laughs> um, so let's go to more of an accountability part since of last week. So the accountability that I set from last week was to read 100 pages for my last book, or to just finish the book. And for you, it was um, to – to have fun, I guess, over the weekend. Yeah, this pretty coronavirus much. Time. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about how that went? Yeah, sure. So my my thing was again when we talk about typical accountability, it's usually about kind of hey, you work hard, do something that you have to kind of focus on. For me, it was hey, I need an off weekend. I need to take a break. I need something just like you said to make me a better version of myself. In that post it to do something I enjoy. So on Saturday. I went out, played some basketball at a little uh, small court early Saturday morning. I actually went out there with my mentor from the clinic, so that was a ton of fun playing with him. Um, yeah, we see each other for work, so that's no big deal, but otherwise social distancing, and it was awesome, man. Just had a ton of fun, um, working working a ton of rust off. It's just good to get out there and flow, man. Um, but then I actually was so good, I went back out there Sunday, too, and I ended up being out there Sunday for like three hours. Just completely wow. by myself, just playing ball, man, shooting around, going through drills. Um, Try to send a ton of free throws. So, yeah, awesome. this is good, my friend. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I know in New York, New York State, the the coronavirus, I guess, regulations have been lessened starting today. Um, how's it in California? Yeah, good question, Bob. Um, we're starting to lessen slowly. Um, 
although that's a very gradual slow release, especially in Los Angeles um, and, like, San Francisco areas, the bigger cities compared to a lot of other areas in California. Um, they're trying to stay really strict with it. Um, I guess for me as a central healthcare worker, it really didn't make that much of a difference. Um, certainly, they're not opening up any gyms or anything like that um, right away. Um, a couple of the beach areas are selective about opening up a little bit. They're opening up some hiking trails. Um, so they're starting to do a little bit, but it's really, I think the rest of the country is going to move uh, far more than we are in the near future. Perfect. Um, so, Bob, so your probability. You did, yeah. some, uh, you did some good reading amidst the heavy time of finals going on, my friend. It's uh, some of me a year ago. Well, something interesting is that I actually finished reading the book today, but then I also read another book um, over the weekend. So, so the other book is was an autobiography of the author who wrote the textbooks, um, Robin McKenzie. He wrote the textbook. He like found, discovered the McKenzie method, and he had an autobiography. And, and I read it. It was very inspiring and interesting, and it gave me insight about like more about how he was pushed back against so many doctors and so many people that um, questioned him. Yet he still kept on going and had this mindset of pursuing um, no matter what. And in the end, it became like a whole institution that, that have people following him and, and learning his method. Um, so, so one thing that I found interesting was he, he's from New Zealand. He, in fact, he got a really lucky as, uh, as As all majority of uh, angel ace uh, physical therapists are from that Australia yeah. region. Yes. Um, so when he was 23, he had his own private practice. So he, he got really lucky because one of the the ladies that owned the private practice died. And, well, it wasn't lucky for, for their family, but, but he was lucky because he got to take over that clinic and he got to be in charge of almost similar to this time now, Bob, where, you know, nobody asked for this coronavirus, but there is opportunity in this adversity. <laughs> well, but, 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 yes. So, so he took over this, this clinic and he, like, started practicing and all of a sudden, he discovered this method. Are you, are you familiar with the Mr. Mr. Smith story? I am familiar with the Mr. Smith story. So I'll just, I'll just share with, on this podcast, I guess. Since, Perfect. Since listeners um, are here. So basically how the McKenzie method was discovered, um, McKenzie has – basically he was – he had a busy clinic. He had a busy scheduled day. Um, and one patient with low back pain, pain down his legs, came in. And Mackenzie was working with another patient, and he told the the guy that just came on the back pain, Mr. Smith, to just go lay down at the table on his stomach. But what Mackenzie forgot was that the table was propped up because the prior patient that was on that pa- on that table was a, a knee patient, and he was doing like stuff with their knee. So they were sitting up with their knees straight. So Mackenzie forgot, but the guy went in, laid on his stomach with the table propped up around like pretty high, pretty, pretty popped up high. Um, and Mackenzie five minutes later walked in and he looked at the patient and he was pretty much hor- horrified. He was like, oh my God, be- I, th- th- what's going to happen to this patient? Is his vertebrae going to just fly out or something? Because <laughs> back in those days, um, 
flexion was the primary. So moving forward, bending forward was the primary intervention or treatment style for patients with low back pain. And we, we thought we had to prime right open, open them up. And, uh, you know, if any time we kind of closed down, we shut down, man, they were going to be hurting. Yep. <laughs> so, and, like, going backwards, extension was, like, forbidden. Like, that was – nobody would ever do that. <laughs> you, you would just break the facets or whatever. Um, so Mackenzie was freaking out, and he had the patient he, – he was freaking out, but he still had a calm demeanor. He had the patient stand up. He was like, so, Mr. Smith, how are you feeling? And Mr. Smith was like, I feel great. I never felt better. And Mackenzie <laughs> was like, um, okay. What? Well, well, what did you say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was so confused. He just sent the patient home and was like, all right, come back tomorrow. Um, so the patient comes back tomorrow, Mr. Smith, and all of a sudden he's better. And Mackenzie just kept on questioning this and started doing this with every patient and seeing their response. And it slowly developed into, I guess, a, a whole practice treatment style on its own. So so that's, I guess, very inspira- insp- inspiring of like, this guy, just three years with his practice, decided to start this something and start something something new and pursue it. So that yeah, was about about. I, I think I appreciate most about a, a man of Robin McKenzie, Bob, is that he was an observer. And, you know, to some people who are listening to this, they might say, oh, my gosh, he just did whatever to whoever. Oh, no, not really. He took extremely detailed notes down, not just for the sake of documentation, but if you're real. Restrictions were a hell of a lot more loose back then, and who knows what was going on in New Zealand down under. Uh, <laughs> but very detailed notes on all of the patients, looking for clinical correlations, problem solving, and looking into kind of in-depth clinical patterns. And, you know, when he went around, it was his notebooks full of all this information that he was teaching on. And so I think it's, you know, if we, if we have something that we haven't questioned, I think we have to be hesitant to overconfirm our biases. And I think we have to be willing to say, hey, let me try and disprove this. Let me figure out what's going on here. Um, and very much today, that's the basis of our education as physical therapists. Not differential diagnosis, but it wasn't inherently back then. Yeah. All right. So that was what I got from the autobiography. The, I finished the rest of the textbook. I, I learned just more about the system in general. Um, which which I thought is, is very interesting and very informative. Um, so, so one fun fact or one fun thing that I learned um, that, that I'll share is, is so there's, there's many studies studying the McKenzie method, and many of these studies look at practitioners that only took part A, part B, part C, or, or whatever, or whatever variety of courses. And yeah. they're – for the McKenzie method, there's four courses, and then you could get credentialed and then diplomaed. Um, so one thing that a researcher said was that many of these studies are looking at people that just took part A, part B, and not actually credentialed people. And it's like a driving school. So how would you grade a driving school? You would grade the, the people in the driving school based on those that finished the driving school and, and became licensed not the people that are actually learning. So the studies that are studying the people that are actually learning it, it doesn't really give, I guess, the full avail to, to the McKenzie method. And I thought that was interesting in terms of like studies for the McKenzie method. Now, obviously I'm not saying it's the best method or it's the only method. I'm just saying, I thought that was thought provoking in terms of looking at research studies and things like that. So it was interesting. Absolutely, Bob. 
All right, my friend. This is a time of the podcast where we, we not only reflect, you know, and go through what we've done, and we're accountable, but now we revitalize and recommit. What's the game plan for next week? So I, so I'm, I'm actually going back to Ithaca sometime soon to get all my stuff. Um, but I ordered another textbook, and I want to read 150 pages for the next textbook. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, Bob, have you received a textbook yet? It is in the mail. It is on delivery for 1 o'clock today. Okay. Here's my deal for you. If you don't get that textbook by Monday, then we're going to have to come up. We're going to text. We're going to come up with something different because I don't want the reason for you not doing it because because of logistics. And I don't want to set you up for failure. If you told me you would get here sometime next week, I would have told you to veto it. But, uh, hey, man, I, I respect it. Yeah, thanks. Do you have anything you want to say for yourself, Nick? Yeah, I do, Bob. Um, I think for me, consist- consistency has been huge for myself recently. And I think that, you know, even these small little times to review is huge. So I'm going to commit to something very small, but something every single day for a minimum. So every day for a minimum, I'm going to spend 15 minutes just reviewing residency material. And I'm committing to something very small because when I've done this in the past for very, very small things, it's been great because I've given myself permission. I said, hey, I must do it. And oftentimes I get in a flow and get grooving on and end up doing even more because I enjoy it once I finally initiate it. So every day, 15 minutes work. I love it. So I'll keep you accountable just like you always keep me accountable and, and the 30 listeners that are listening to this podcast. So <laughs> right, I'm, I'm excited. So thank you again for coming on this call. It was always a pleasure to talk to you, Nick. See you next week, Bob Chang. Congratulations, Mr. DPT. Thank you. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.